listening to Historical Fiction Unpacked, where we discuss the pull of the past every week. I'm your host, Allison Treat. I'm an author of historical fiction and a freelance editor. Welcome to my show. Hello, historical fiction fans. Today, we have an interview with Naomi Mush. Naomi is an award-winning, multi-published author whose heart beats hardest for historical fiction set in America's bygone days, whether she's writing about the voyagers of the fur trade or the lumberjacks of the Great Lakes woodland. She believes a perfect day is spent working on a novel, roaming about the farm, snacking out of the garden, relaxing in her vintage camper, and loving on her passel of grandchildren. Naomi and I connected on Facebook a few months ago, and after talking to her back and forth a little bit, we decided that she would be a perfect guest for the show. I had a great conversation with Naomi, and I'm excited for you guys to hear it. So let's get started. Naomi, welcome to Historical Fiction Unpacked. Thank you. I am delighted to be here. You've had 13 novels published. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Okay. So um, most recently, you've been re-releasing some of your previously published novels. Can you tell us about that process? Sure. I'd be happy and, to do that. You know, what made you want to release them again? Sure. Well, what had happened is um, the first uh, seven or eight of my books that were published were published with a small press out of California that eventually closed their doors just because they were it was a small press and things happen in people's lives where they have to move on to do other things. And, and, and they were really great to work with and stuff, but they get, returned all the rights back to the authors of, of everything. And they were really wonderful about that. And we even had the opportunity to get our, our artwork and everything for the, the covers. And so I knew that some of those books, one series in particular, um, I had three books and one was scheduled to release before they closed. And so I really wanted to conclude that series. And that's, that was the first thing I wanted to do. Um, and then I wanted to re-release the, the others, you know, just in course. The most recently published or re-released book mm -hmm. is the, um, the Empire and Pine series. Mm -hmm. Since that was your most recent book, or since since the third one was your most recent book, that's what I read um, from this series. And I enjoyed it a lot, even as a standalone, but it really made me want to go read the previous books in the trilogy. Um, just, I thought the characters, you know, hearing little bits and pieces about what had happened previously mm -hmm. made me just want to go back and read all of them. Good, good, good. I, yeah. <laughs> um, but can you tell me about the history surrounding that series? It's so intriguing to me. Yeah. The history of the Empire and Pine series is the history of the beginning of Wisconsin, really, from, mm. from prior to, just prior to statehood, you know, when it was settled by miners and lumberjacks and railroaders. And I'm focusing on the the lumber industry and the, the men who came here to scout out the big white pine and the lumberjacks and the pioneers that settled in the big woods, just like, you know, little house in the big woods, you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. but anyway, yeah. And what happened is when I wrote the first book, the green veil, I, I didn't, that was one of the earliest books that I wrote. I have a couple other ones that will never see the light of day, but um, that was the first one that was ready. I felt for publication and that I really, really tried to pitch. And, when I got toward the end of that book, it occurred to me that, um, wow, that if I if I went into the next generation, it would be perfectly timed with the most deadly history or uh, fire in history, um, which was the oh. which was the Pest the Great Peshtigo Fire, which right. um, 
was happened on the same night as the Chicago fire, but was actually much deadlier. And oh, I wanted wow. to tell the story of the next generation of these characters and tell that story through the eyes of fictional characters, but yet be able to bring the, the history to life and how it affected the, you know, the state as a whole, the logging industry, the, the railroad that was starting to get out into the far reaches. And then by the time I got I started thinking partway in that, oh my goodness, um, I think this is going to be a trilogy. And I wasn't very far into it because I realized that then 20 years later after that, which would have been the next generation, would have been when the logging and railroading industry was really at its peak in Wisconsin in the 1890s, um, yeah. especially in northern Wisconsin. And in northern Wisconsin at that time, it was, I mean, the the rip-roaring weekend nights of the lumberjacks coming into town and things like that. And um, I thought, oh, I, I really need to tell all three generations of this story to bring it from the beginnings of that history to it's when it was at its peak before it started to decline. Right. That's so interesting. I love how you did different generations in each book. Um, it's just it's neat how each book stems from the one before, and it's like a continua yeah. continuation of the family saga. Right. And the cool thing, like you had said earlier, how you were able to read it as a standalone, is that it does have that um, characteristic to it where you're getting each a little bit more and what happened before and what happened after. But yet at the same time, if you read them alone, they're going to be able to stand on their own too. Yes, because it's a new, the new generation introduces a new set of characters, right? Right new set of characters while just while still bringing back the other characters that people have grown right. to be, you know, welcome in their lives. And also because it's a family story, I wanted to keep it, the family involved. Yes. So, yep. Yeah. It was, it was a great way. It was a wonderful way to show the family's legacy. And then even though the, the characters from the previous books were like supporting characters in the third book, I, it still made me love those characters and, oh, good. And want to know more about their story. So I found that really really good. Good. Thank you. So did you, did I hear you correctly when you said the first book, was that your very first book that you? The Green Veil was the first one. Yeah. The first one that I call my first real publishing venture. Um, I, but at the funny thing was, is at the same time that that got accepted within about a, the same month, I had a novella published by another publisher. So I kind of okay. had a twofer there and that was, uh, that was actually a contemporary novella. So that was a little different. That was something I just wrote on the side as, cause I needed some closure on something and I could write that fast. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And, and the, cause the, the historical was taking a lot longer, just, you know, the depth of research and things that we do and, um, and so right. on. So, yeah. Well, why don't you go into that? Tell, explain what your research process has been like for these historical novels that you've written. Uh, it's a little, you know, different each time, depending. When I did The Green Veil, that being my first mm -hmm. really big one, um, it was, I spent a long time writing that book. I spent a couple of years or so writing that book, first of all. And then a long time after, I can't remember what year I actually started writing that yeah. book, probably about 2007, probably. And, and then over time, um, you know, just tweaking it all the time, rewrites, 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 but mostly a lot of, um, a lot of library books, lot of online research. And then some things just out of my own life experience that you go, you know, you're, you're out there doing things. I live in the country, I live on a farm, and I'm thinking about what well, transferring the things that I do day to day life to how would they have done this 
you know, a hundred years ago or more, you know, what would, what was it like then to have to do this particular task, whether it's something as simple as putting, you know, put gardening or putting food by, or, you know, traveling on what was, what were the roads then and, and what, what became future roads, what have gone fading away into oblivion? How did they get up the Wisconsin river from when they came across Lake Michigan and how did they go inland? And that was, that was a process to find out you know, just what mm-hmm. the, what the traveling would have been like, um, because my characters in the first book come across Lake Michigan into Wisconsin. And so that, that's, wow. it's different each time. The, the Peshtigo, uh storybook, it's called The Red Fury. And that one um, takes place in a little bit different locales in Wisconsin. It starts out um, where the first one ends in the Chippewa Falls area, and then goes east across the state to the Peshtigo area. And for that one, I did some day tripping. Um, a friend of mine and I got in the car and we drove over there and went and visited some of the, the mass graves. And there's a, a museum over there to the fire. And and, and okay. so we were able to, and, and to, we found some great material, resource material over there, some written material that we were able to get. And um, oh, good. Yeah. And then for the Black Rose, the Black Rose is actually um, in the area where I live now. So that made it a lot easier. There's a couple mentions in the Black Rose of, um, of one of them is um, a local mansion, which is now a, a, that was built by a lumber baron back in the 1890s. And it was okay. um, in the neighborhood where I set my story. And, I, and it was funny because for this one, I, I was like, okay, where would this house be actually set that they lived in? And I drove around the town of Superior and looking for old, old houses that I thought might have been a perfect locale. <laughs> and the people right. that, that live there now have no idea that their house is in my book. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They might be excited. Yeah, right, house, right. But yeah, and now that that lumberman's mansion is a, actually a a local museum, Fairlawn Mansion, and I have oh. a, a mention of that in the book where they go to have tea at at a garden party, I think, in, at Fairlawn and stuff. And I've done I've done a lot of plays there and things with friends, so that's I'm familiar Neat. with it. So so that's kind of been the research for a lot of those things. Just right. What was your first step in finding out, like how? How did they do? Th- what was it all like online? Was it? Did you read? A lot of times when well, when I'm first getting the inkling, especially with a series like this, as as I'm writing one book, I start stumbling across information that starts to mm-hmm. head me in the direction of the next one. Or even if I'm writing a standalone or whatever, a lot of times, a lot of my stories come out of historical things that I discover, and I go, "Oh my goodness." I can see that in a story and, and it really kind of depends, but um, a lot of times it's out of the research that I'm, that the story is originally discovered to me. <laughs> and, right. and so I go from right. there and then I just start digging wherever. A lot of it is online now just um, because you can, you can find out just about anything. I'm working on a, a book right now that I'm not quite finished with. That's a world war two story. And I went to um, it's about, well, it's about one particular um, branch of the army and one of the units, and and oh. that was called the Red, the famous Red Arrow Division that broke through every line and occupied Germany and and oh, France. Wow. And and interestingly enough, it's out of based out of Wisconsin. And as I was researching this, the um, Wisconsin National Guard put out a huge documentary on the history of the Red Arrow, and they were showing it in different VFW posts all around the state. So I was able to drive about an hour away and go watch it 
(laughs) And so that was like super helpful, almost more things that I could write down fast enough, you know? So, you know, I don't usually, I don't usually do like super extensive traveling for research and things. And that's why to a lot of my stories, probably the bulk of my stories are take place in Wisconsin or nearby. Right. Um, just makes it easier to, and I, and I love my state history. So, <laughs> right. Have you always lived in Wisconsin? Um, yes, except for a short stint in Minnesota next door. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. I'm down in Southern Minnesota for a little while, but otherwise I've lived in Wisconsin my whole life. I was born in central Wisconsin and now make my home in Northern Wisconsin, very near Lake Superior. So, okay. Um, yeah, I, some of my books are based in my local area in I live in northeastern Pennsylvania and oh. I just I think just living in the area you hear stories about the past and especially if you have family that grew up here you know some of the history and it just there are, there are stories to be had wherever wherever you yes. live so and even the terrain of the state Mm. Um, you have a under, un, better understanding yes. of, of specific locales in the state that would be hard. I actually um, have a book that came out last year in November. Um, it was a, a novella in a collection with, there were four authors, and my story was set in Pennsylvania. Oh, and okay. it was hard for me to write. And, and the one thing that was difficult too is that as I'm trying to picture some of these different things, and of course you're looking back in time of, well, what would have looked like then? Because it sure doesn't look like that now. And <laughs> and is this particular thing super common knowledge to everybody out there? <laughs> you <Right>. know, <laughs> or is it just com- You know, just new to me? <laughs> yeah, that kind of thing. So yeah, yeah. That book that book is called The Highlanders, oh, and it was cool. published by Lighthouse Publishing of the Carolinas. And we were each given the task of writing a story in history about a Highlander, and it could either be. Um, overseas in Scotland or Ireland or here or wherever we wanted to. And I wrote about a Highlander that was um, involved in, in Pontiac's rebellion mm-hmm. at the end of the, at the end of the French and Indian war. So I wrote a little bit about the battle. It starts out with the battle of Bushy run and then um, proceeds into, you know, a little bit heading toward the siege of Fort Pitt, but um, okay. then ending up basically in the forest alone. <laughs> <laughs> There's, so there's a lot of forest in Pennsylvania. So. Yes, there is. Pennsylvania and Wisconsin have a lot of commonalities. Yes. So I would like to go back to this, the book you said you're working on now, is that mm-hmm. um, about World War II? Yes. But it's set in Wisconsin? It's set in Wisconsin. There are some scenes that take place abroad as well. Okay. And um, the working title, and I don't know what's going to come of this book yet, just because the current publishing climate is very odd. Yes. Um, but it's the working title is called Letters from the Red Arrow. Okay. And it's one of these romance via letter kind of stories. Oh, cool. You know, I think I think we all love those from time to time, you know, (laughs) and it's set during World War II, but it's involved with um, also um, the situation of the the Native American boarding schools Mm -hmm. that have such a turmoiled history. (laughs) And so it has to do with um, a Native American man who went to war for the United States. And at that time, Many of them did, even though they weren't considered citizens of the United States. Right. Um, they went, they they enlisted, and they went and served with distinction, mm-hmm. and were often put in um, 
the more precarious positions because of their they were stereotyped as being fierce warriors and all this kind of thing and stuff. And it's about a young man who himself he himself grew up in a boarding school and now he his his wife died and he has a little girl who's like six years old and he actually takes her to a, a boarding school that he thinks is respectful so that she will have the provision that she needs while he is away um okay. his sister is or his cousin rather is against him doing this and there's a young woman there teaching at the school who kind of takes this little girl under her wing and to help the little girl write to her father, the letters end up evolving to where they are writing back and forth to each other. Oh, that is so interesting. And then meanwhile, of course, there's still, we hear a lot of very horrible things about things that happened at some of these schools. And there's kind of a mixed bag that some, some say, Mm -hmm. well, no, they weren't all that terrible. And some say, oh yeah, they were and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to be really fair both ways to show a little bit of both side of things in the story. So there are some times, there are some things that happen at the school, um, you know, some ugly things that happen, but then there are also some good things that happen too. And of course they start to have develop their feelings for one another via these letters and they doubt their feelings because they're only letters. Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so when he finally comes home, it's then there's this question of cultures and things like that. And, yeah. and how is that, how can that even work and, and self doubt and things like that. So, mm. so I'm hoping something happens with it because I think it's a really lovely story. It sounds know? like it. So, yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Going back to the, Empire and Pine series and The Black Rose. Can you talk a little bit about the themes in that book? I mean, maybe you want to tell a little bit of, about what happens in this book. Sure. And, uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I can do that. So it, the time period is 1893 and logging has reached, you know, its peak. It's it's the golden era of logging in northern Wisconsin. And this story is about twin sisters, mm-hmm. um, Jessalyn and Corianne, Jesse and Corey. And um, they're twins, but they're very, their natures are quite different. Yeah. And um, the symbol, the, the symbolism in the story, um, the black rose is, there means multiple things. Back in this era, uh, it was popular, you know, that was the era of flowers where you gave flowers with different meaning and things like that. Right. right. And so I kind of incorporated that. And the, the, the mother in this story, she has a rose garden. And so they're always tending the roses, but, um, Jesse is sort of the black rose, like the black sheep of the family. Mm-hmm. And, um, but it also, a black rose also can symbolize things like hatred and bitterness mm-hmm. and anger and things like that. So really there's some of that in Coriant. Cory is the sister who always makes the right choices and the, does the correct things and walks the, the fine walk, but she's a little bit self-righteous. Mm-hmm. And we start to slowly see that, um, Jesse is the one that makes the bad decisions. And when when she falls from grace by trying to seduce oh. her sister's fiance, and and I keep this very, you know, it's a Christian novel, so there there's nothing blatant there right. <laughs> that we're gonna we're gonna stumble into or anything like that. Everything's outside the door. But um at the same time, right. um it it leads her to down a path of self-destruction. And mm-hmm. I also then incorporate into the story you know at first 
when my mom read this book, she was like, oh my gosh, this girl, she does such bad things. I almost couldn't, I almost couldn't get, but then I had to keep reading and finding out. <laughs> but, um, but the thing of it is, is Jessie comes from a lot of, she has a lot of wounds that the kind of wounds that people have that we don't see, like um, real big issues with self-worth. Mm-hmm. And, and that is a struggle that she has that comes out real slowly. And I think people can relate to that. I think we all doubt ourselves and, and often times it takes some kinds of shaking up in our lives to see how Christ values us. Yes. And how we are made in the image of Christ and and also that we have this God creates beauty and mm-hmm. and Satan dis, he wants to destroy beauty. That's his he want because it's it's God it's God's creation and whether that's physically or emotionally or however he wants to descro- destroy that. And if he can destroy that by making someone, you know, hate themselves or whatever, then that's what he'll do. And so that's part of the theme in the story too, is, is so there's a redemption story with Jesse, but then with this, with her and with trying to um, heal the wounds with her sister, but her sister isn't, is kind of bitter and, and isn't so sure she can forgive or wants to forgive and uh, for the things that happened. And of course, both these things affect their futures and what happens to them on the rest of the course of the story. So there's, you know, there's, there's opportunities for new love and things. There's a, um, a camp preacher who works in the logging camps of Northeast Wisconsin in in some of the, in one of the most rough and tumble areas of the state. And mm-hmm. he has gone there to, 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 to minister to these woodsmen and feels like he's a, he's a failure because he's not seeing men turn their lives around very easily. And the last thing he expects is that he is there to rescue perhaps this young woman who stumbles, who stumbles across his path. And uh, he calls her pie girl before he (laughs) learns her name. And there's a, there's a little story behind that. So. (laughs) Oh, I love it. Um, (laughs) And I really loved his story too, because I think so often we, we have this idea of what we're supposed to be doing and um, it doesn't look like it's succeeding and we're not seeing how God is using us or, or how our the life over is, picture. <laughs> yeah. How our life is actually affecting other people's lives. Um, right. Because it's not what we had in mind for ourselves. So exactly. I just, exactly. I loved that piece of his story. And since you mentioned um, beauty, I just, I noticed in your, I think it was in your author's note at the end of the book. Okay, yeah, let me let me read this little sure. piece of, of that. You said that you were, cited the, the book Captivating, Unveiling the Mystery of a Woman's Soul by Stacey and John Eldridge. Um, they're a husband and wife writing team. And they wrote about the concept that Satan hates beauty because beauty displays unique evidence of God's glory. Therefore, Satan will try to find the means to destroy it or twist it. So that you said how that spoke to you, and you believe this is one of the ways he attacks young women who seem to have everything going for them. I just, yes, that's so true, and I I love yeah. that you brought that out in this book. Yes, and and that's something that at the beginning I didn't I didn't know that that was going to become such a strong theme. Right. Um, sometimes when I'm starting to plot a book or, or when my mind's really starting to turn around about a book, um, I'll start kind of searching for what's the theme, what's the theme, what's the bigger picture here. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll, I'll look for little things like that to pop up, but sometimes they don't pop up until 
I'm getting into it farther, then all of a sudden I realize, oh, that other thing I thought of back there that I'm struggling with getting incorporated into this story. No, that's not it. It's this. <laughs> it's this thing here or whatever, you know. And I, and of course, um, like you said, you're a writer, you know, I don't want it to come across preachy right. or anything like that. I want it to be subtle and just kind of sewn into the seams of the story, you know. Right. Yeah. So it kind of is what one of the things that has to propel the story forward, I think, in the characters' lives. Mm-hmm. So when you get a story idea, obviously you said like the theme maybe comes out later on. What is what is usually the first thing that sparks a story for you? Is it a plot point or is it a character? You know, I ask myself that a lot because I I hear that question um, asked of other authors a lot too, and I. I can't always say that it's always been the same thing. Um, Like I said earlier, oftentimes it's something from history. Mm -hmm. Um, That's probably the main type of spark that I get. But there have been times where um, it's been a a title. Um, A a few years back, in fact, the next next book that's on my backlist that I want to re-release is a book called The Love Coward. And it's a post-World mm. War II story. And that that was funny because um, my daughter had been through, one of my daughters had been through a relationship that wasn't working out well, you know. And I mm. I had commented that um, the certain fellow was a coward. And I said, he's, he's, he's just afraid of, he's just afraid of love. I said, he's a coward. He's a love coward. And I went, and I'm going to write a book about it. <laughs> <laughs> just about the title because I was like, I got to use that title, you know. That's and uh, so it kind of evolved from there out of the, that that title. Um, recently, now I've got another idea stirring as I'm as I'm just about finished with this one current whip that I'm working on. I've had an invasion of an idea via a Facebook page. I um, follow this page called Abandoned Wisconsin, and it's just mm. people just picture post pictures of abandoned uh, homesteads and abandoned equipment and abandoned schools and things like that around the state, neat old pictures. And there was one house that popped up that I just looked at that house and I went, oh my goodness, what a house and what a story must be there. And it was a, it was a farmhouse, but it was a very, it had all this pretty ornate gingerbread trim and, and it was empty, it was abandoned, you know, and it was, and I, and I started imagining what story could be in that house. And all of a sudden this these characters started popping into my head, which was probably even, you know, more, more the impetus. And so now I'm starting the process of jotting down ideas for that. We'll we'll see where it goes. But so, so that can be, you know, like I said, usually something from history, but sometimes it's other things. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. For me, a lot of times it's a place that um, I'll just, as you said, with that house, like, I'll just start to wonder what kind of history is tied up in this place and what must have happened here mm-hmm. in the past, you know. When you say that, it made me think of all of a sudden I had a flashback of being a little kid going camping someplace with my parents and they would be out fly fishing on a river and I would be by myself running up and down the bank in the forest pretending dinosaurs were chasing me or whatever, you know, <laughs> playing things and stuff. And it was like place captured my imagination mm. from the time I was little. And so I think that is a huge, a huge marker, I think, for for authors in general and and I don't know, maybe for historical writers in particular sometimes because we do always wonder what happened here. 
Right. We wonder about the past all the time. Yeah. So you mentioned your first book already. And you thought, was that around 2007 that you? Um, yeah, right around there. And I think it published in 2010. Okay. So how did you come to the point of releasing that first book? Well, I had been pitching The Green Veil for quite a while um, mm-hmm. at with some of the bigger publishers back when you could still do that without an agent. Okay. And um, at a certain point, I just thought, oh my goodness. And th- that then um, all of a sudden, ebooks started coming out and then they started mm-hmm. developing kind of a going on a roll a little bit. And I got to a point where I, I was researching different publishers and stuff. And there was this startup publisher, they'd only been around for maybe two years. And I started looking at some of the books that they were publishing. I, I talked to some of their authors and, and asked, you know, how, what's your experience like and things like that. And they were only doing ebooks at the time. And I thought, you know what, I think I'm ready to go there. And, and so I did, I submitted and I actually, um, contracted for that entire series. Wow. And and it was exciting. They yeah. had very little in their in that lineup of historical Christian fiction. They had very little there. So they took the series. And then after they published them all as ebooks, a few years went by about and then they they started branching off into print books. So then they started going back and, and giving okay. print books to their authors. So it did get into print eventually. And it was a small press. They didn't do a lot of um, marketing or anything like that. Right. And um, so, and then I did some other books with them. And um, then, it, it, you know, then when they got to the point where they were going to close down, I was doing my, um, my World War One and 1920s series called Echoes of the Heart with them mm. when they, when they decided to close down. And so, they gave us the rights back and I was able to complete that series. And the last book of that one came out last, about a year ago now, August, I think it was last year in August. So okay, that was good, good closure. One of your novels, The Mist or the Voyager, is that how? Yes, yes. Okay. That was a 2019 SELA Award finalist and two-time Book of the Year nominee. That's yes. so exciting. Was that with that same publisher with the small? No, that was no? with Lighthouse Publishing of the Carolinas. Oh, okay. Great. And which, so that was even, a, that was just a huge, wonderful thing. Um, yeah, yeah, I. Congratulations. I, That's thank you. Exciting. That book was a book that I had written probably seven years or eight years before it was published. And it was one of those, one of those on your heart books. And I could have submitted that to the other publisher, but it was one of those books that I was like, no, I'm not going to submit this one here yet. This has got a special place, you know, and Mm -hmm. I waited and waited. And then through some circumstances of friends on Facebook and getting to know um, Peg Thomas, who was the managing editor, and I had no idea she was the managing editor at the time, but we had a lot of commonalities. So I was always like talking with her on Facebook. And, and then it turned out, I found out she later that she was the, the uh, one of the managing editors for their, for their historical romance line. And through some some different events, I was oh. able to pitch to her, and um, she she liked the story. She said, "But it's not a romance; it's historical. So if you want us to publish it, we're it's going to have to change some things here." And I, I she gave me a, a week or so to think about that, and I was like, "Yep, I'm going to do it." Took her advice, mm. beefed up the romance part of line of it a little bit, and um, you know, sent it in, and then it was eventually picked up by them, and and. Um, endorsed by Laura France and Michelle Greep wow. and some other authors and um, that I highly respect. And that was a huge blessing. And I entered it in the, in the, in the SELA contest and I went, 
I don't normally, like I said, do a lot of traveling, but I went to the Blue Ridge Conference in 2019 mm-hmm. um, because my son was stationed out in North Carolina. So uh, we were out there and it ended up it as a finalist. And then when they were going through the things about the nominees for Book of the Year, it had scored high enough to be nominated in the category for Book of the Year. Wow. Um, um, and a children's book one, which was really a wonderful book and well-deserved, but um, that was super exciting. And then it was also nominated for a book of the year by the Northeast Minnesota book awards. Wow. That's so exciting. So, yeah. 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 That was, so what was, that's, did you get cool. that news at the conference or was it something? I knew it was a finalist before I went. Okay. And then um, found out about, I was totally surprised and shocked by the, that it had scored high enough for the nomination for the book of the year. Uh, so that, it, I feel really honored. Yeah. Yeah. That, so that is, that's so exciting. It must just be one of those moments where you feel like, Oh, this is, um, yes. It just makes it so worth it. I guess <laughs> it, it does, you know, and I I've written a sequel to that. I don't know if they're going to take it or not. Um, just like I said, the publishing climate is very right. weird right now. I'm hoping that, I'm hoping that if they don't, maybe that I can um, be able to publish it myself. I would have to talk to them first and get permission just because it deals with some of the main characters, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, I would have to see, but I'm hoping so because it's a, I like the sequel a lot too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. Right. And I'm sure people who've read that book would like to read that. Book. Yeah, I think, I think so. So we'll see. The sequel, yeah. <laughs> um. So how do you think learning about history through the medium of story helps us approach life in the present? Oh my goodness. That's a kind of a big question, but that's okay because that is actually something I've, I've talked with people about. Um, I homeschooled my kids and they're all, I'm a a homeschool graduate also. Oh, you are. That's so awesome. Well, yeah, all my kids are older now. And they're starting to school their kids, some of them, you know, not all of them, but yeah. um, so we had five. And and um, when one of the things that when we started homeschooling, I said, I want to spend time reading historical fiction with them and, you know, some biographies and things like that. And we'll just use textbooks as kind of a skeleton, kind of a, just mm-hmm. a something to go off of and, and things, because I think you learn so much First of all, you learn so much. You learn history better, for one thing. I think you Absolutely. are able able to understand it in context, able to understand some of those events that happened so much clearer when you can see it through the lives of characters or or, or people that lived in that time or whatever, you know. And I think that I, I just put out a blog post today on the Colonial Quills blog um, where I'm talking about the, the whole thing about if you don't if you don't know history, you're doomed to repeat it, you know. Yes. And I my my blog post is about um, what the founding fathers have to say about the use of social media. <laughs> so great. there's definitely, you know, things to be learned now from, from our founding fathers and from history. And right. um, it's kind of an, a constant thing. I think, you know, uh, I think of how many things just in the recent history, like that I learned from my grandma and grandpa growing up, some how to do things that we don't do anymore. I mean, we do, my family might, because we're weird, you know, <laughs> but 
but it's not the common thing for everyone have to, you know, not, there's only, you know, a segment of the population that still goes out to the woods and gets all their firewood for the season, you know, or, you know, plants ginormous gardens that they have to, you know, a great way to be weird. I mean, yeah, it is. And, you know, it's, it was common. It was the way people lived back then. And now it's not, you know, so I think anybody that can't learn from history just isn't looking hard enough. Right. Yeah. So what are you hoping readers will get from your books? Um, The big thing that I want readers to, to, two things, two really big things. Um, One is I want them to be totally swept away with a wonderful emotional experience in in a story. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is I want them to experience or see how grace works in our lives on so many different levels. I want... Um, you know, whether it's, whether it's through decisions we're making or in the day to day, if we, if we know the Lord or whether it's through, um, hard times or redemption or our walk in any, in any way, I want people to see grace and experience grace and, Mm -hmm. and, and, and make them think about things. Um, the, the first book in the Empire and Pine series, the Green Veil, I remember one of the, one of the things that, compliments that stuck to my heart was a young lady who read it and she was probably in her late teens, early twenties when she read it or something like that. Maybe she was more in her middle to earlier to mid twenties. Mm-hmm. And I remember she said, made the most simple statement. She just goes, there were some parts in there that really made me think. And I was like, really? <laughs> that's what, that's wonderful because I don't want it to be, I don't want it people to be taken out of the story at all. But if there's some little tidbit in there that makes them go, huh, I didn't think of that or something or whatever. Mm -hmm. I don't even know what it was that, that touched her, but something did. And I, and I I think it was on a, on a deeper level, you know? So, yeah, well, I just feel like story can do that for us. Yes. Better than hearing a sermon or reading a self-help book sometimes. (laughs) Yes, a story is what we need. That is what we need. It, it's we we all have those different learning styles and things. And uh, yeah, I I can get God speaks to me sometimes when I'm reading a, a really good work of fiction mm-hmm. that might reduce me to tears and might make, make me make me prayerful about something or or whatever. That's that's how he has he speaks to some of us and absolutely and, or moves us and motivates us and you know so. Yeah. Yeah. Great. So to finish up, who is your favorite historical fiction author? That is so hard. (laughs) (laughs) I have a whole bunch of favorites, of course. Um, I really, in the last couple of years, um, I would have always in the past, I would have always said Bodhi Taney Hmm. for many years. And then, and then Francine Rivers came along. Oh my gosh, I love Francine Rivers. You know, oh yeah. my goodness. And and then um, Angela Elwell Hunt wrote some historicals that just ripped my heart out. Mm-hmm. You know, and then Laura France came along writing the early American stuff that I love, and I was like, that's so awesome. Yeah. And then Laurie Benton came along, and I'm like, oh, they're finally publishing stories from like the French and Indian War periods and things like that that right. I love so much. And this is so awesome. And then Sarah Sundin writes that great. World War II stuff, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and lately it's been in the last year or two, I've, I've just, 
Joanne Bischoff is just oh yes, it struck my heart so because her her, her uh, when I when I started reading her Sons of Blackbird Mar- Mountain, mm-hmm, I love that one. Her, I was like, oh my gosh, she's writing about my sons. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. But anyhow, the and it was such a such a story, and the the two books set I thought was so gripping and yes i could see it as a movie you know <laughs> yeah i'll have to see if joanne would come on the show that would be fun yeah that would be great <laughs> yeah. do you have um can you recommend like one what's your favorite historical fiction novel that you've read this year or oh well i ha- i'm i'm i have two that i'm really liking um if I, first of all i read um the beneath the blackberry moon it's yep. Oh. <laughs> it's the April Gardner's Beneath the Blackberry Moon series. Um, that was oh. really, really riveting, and you just didn't know what was going to happen in it. You just didn't know how it was going to turn out. That was that was my favorite series I think so far this year. And I just mm-hmm. finished um, Laurie Benton's one that just came out like a day or two ago. Laurel Mountain Laurel. That's the name of it. Mountain Laurel. Okay. Mountain Laurel, yeah, I really liked that one, and um, I I just finished reading the arc for it, and it just came out a day or two ago, and I I think it's going to be a big hit, and and there's going to be a second book, which I'm really glad there's going to be a second book because the first one has closure, but you know, you know, there's there's a lot there's that's got to happen, yeah, more so. to come. Yeah, I just looked more to that come. up on yeah, Goodreads, and I, I recognize it now that I see mm-hmm. the cover. Yeah, that looks really good. Right, right. So that was that. Those couple were probably my favorite. And I really loved Laura Francis and Uncommon Woman was really mm. good too. Okay, so many, so many. So good I don't books. know. How do you pick? I don't know. How do you pick? <laughs> it's hard, and it, but it's inspirational too. You know, you find a an author, you find some books that you really love, and sometimes then it just wants to makes you want to sit down right then and just start writing. Mm-hmm. You know, and while you feel the flow. Right. That's right. <laughs> So, so Naomi, this was a great conversation. Um, can you just tell listeners where they can buy your books? You can buy my books on Amazon. Um, some of them are, are in other places too, like Barnes and Noble and things like wherever on the web, you know, some of the ones, the, the ones that I've reissued myself are, are pretty much primarily through Amazon. Okay. You know, unless, unless I see you someplace, I can sell you a copy or, um, you know, just some local stores and things like that. Right. But, and where can they find you online? Is yeah. Your website. And can you just. They can find me at naomimush.com. And then I'm on all the usual sites on BookBob. Okay. I, I love to follow people back on BookBob and Goodreads and, Great. you know, Facebook and all those places. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was a, a good time. Thank you so much to Allison. It's been a pleasure and it was real real joy to visit with you and and i'm so happy you're doing this because historical fiction needs its own blog its own podcast it does thanks so much for listening today guys i hope you enjoyed that conversation with naomi mush um if you enjoyed this podcast can you subscribe that would be fantastic and if you're listening on apple podcasts leave a star rating and review you can find the show notes at alisontreat.com that's a-l-i-s-o-n T-R-E-A-T dot com. You know, I find it interesting that that quote that I brought up a few episodes ago keeps coming up in conversation with authors. 
The version attributed to George Santayana says, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. But other people have said it a little differently. And although it's a great quote, I actually kind of like what Maya Angelou said a little better. It puts a positive spin on it. She said, history, despite its wrenching pain, cannot be unlived, but if faced with courage, need not be lived again. So that seems as good a reason as any to keep reading historical fiction. 